Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. There we are, acres and acres of tar and cement, and we're uh, on air. Just been riding over acres and acres of tar and cement, and um, got here atrociously early. I was here about three minutes to nine or four minutes to mm. nine, something ridiculous. We were, we were uh, all shocked. That's right, and Andy, um, if Andy's listening, I um, hope he's okay. Apparently he sounds very ill this morning when he rang in, but I don't count that as an excuse, but nonetheless, some people do. <laughs> Uh, Tojo, therefore, stepped in. Tojo, thanks for stepping in and uh, pressing buttons for us. My pleasure. He used to do it years ago for us, and uh, he's back. Okay. And um, Megan Klima's back after a week. I mean, she came in last week, and she's back for a second week. It's wonderful. Thank Megan. you. Yeah. Megan, hello. <laughs> Glad to be here. And John McPherson Day. John's in the middle there. I'm Kevin Healy, by the way. And that's uh, John McPherson is, uh, of course, first Wednesday of the month, transport, and therefore John's here. Yeah, here I am. Yeah, talking about... Uh, Lots of things to do with. So there we are. Anyone got anything they want to rave on about? Well, that's usually what you do, Kevin. I know, I know. <laughs> but I just thought... We I'd... don't rave. It's your, your, your department. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get myself into some degree of order here, which I'm totally out of. Um, no, you're but... not. You know exactly which oh. paper you want. Do I? Really? Yeah. Okay. I just... Uh, there was a... Um, an incident last week, and no one quite knows what the situation was, but we uh, might have seen it on the news, where a woman was trapped under a house. And um, hmm. they um, they still haven't worked out exactly what happened. But it sounds like she was probably squatting or something. But they took the ages to get her out, and um, and she was taken to hospital, dehydrated, etc., because she'd been under there for a fair while, they a few days. I think some days, yeah. Yeah, they, they're now not sure how long. But anyway, I just thought... Two days later, the, the headline in The Age, I thought, my God, you know, what generous people our police are. Police won't charge woman found trapped under house. And you think, well, you know, how big of them? How big of them to uh, not house someone who presumably is homeless or something? Um, look, I'm going to pour some tea. Oh, you want tea? Do you want tea too? No, thank you. No, okay, that's good. We only bought three cups. <laughs> we did face a logistics problem if you did. <laughs> anyway, but everyone, I'm assuming everyone else is having tea. Um, Megan, yes, this is this is same as last week. It's Chinese white because John likes yeah, Chinese white. Like so I really sorry. enjoyed that last so week. So we, we have it thank on you. John's day. Uh, there we are. <laughs> now, I just want to mention yesterday, we always like to give the Herald Sun a run. Um, and um, towards the tip, yes. And uh, yesterday's front page, I thought, was one of the one of the better ones. Um, AFL thuggery manager, league bosses under etc. Now, in a in a pretty junior or you know, you know lower league footy match uh, between West Preston Lakeside and Whittlesea, a bloke thumps somebody, 
And this becomes the biggest news in the whole world. Mm. You know, there's nothing else in the whole world yesterday more important than a bloke thumping somebody on a ground at Preston or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it led the TV commercial news the night before, which I fluked being still on at some stage and uh, and watching. And I thought, my God, you know. Well, the way it was presented, I thought they were talking about the front, the Premier, you know, the Premier League teams or something. I didn't catch mm. the, the, that it was just a, sorry, just a, um, you know, neighbourhood league. He was, was doing his bit mm, for West Preston Lakeside mm, when it mm, happened, yeah, but, mm. but he works for the AFL right, on there for right, it, so right. oh, big well. time and uh, oh, all yeah. that sort of thing, yeah. Oh, well, in that case, he's got to mind his P's and Q's. Well, there's also a headline here, low blow for felon, which I'll come back to in a minute. Um, but, um, <laughs> it's a good one. Well, yeah, because – well, it is because I'll tell, tell you in a minute why it's a good one or a bad one for him. Um, but these people in America who exercise their constitutional right to have arms, I mean, you know, they, they really are wonderful. And there was a couple um, – over there who they decided to do something. They, they felt that their whatever thing they were putting out on on social media wasn't getting enough attention. Oh, so the yes. way was to put this big, thick book over his heart and she'd shoot him with this gun, which is pretty smart because uh, the bullet killed him anyway. That's just that. Yeah. So he's dead. And they said, well, what a nice bloke he was. But uh, anyway, he so he's dead. They've had bad luck, bad luck. Apparently he, everybody stood around saying, don't do it, don't do it. Yeah, that's right. And she's been charged now with something other manslaughter or something. Right, but she'd actually right. said it was a bit silly too. But this bloke's a classic. Now, this is the, the one. This is the low blow bloke. Right. Um, I know you're going to wince when you hear it, John. Yeah. Um, he, Undoubtedly, Kevin. Florida. Only, only in Florida could this happen, couldn't it? Um, but still, he was exercising his constitutional right he's to have a um, have a gun. He he sat on it. He got in his car, forgot the car was in the driver's seat, sat on it, and went off. And guess, of course, where it blew him. <laughs> so he's a bit bit ordinary in the general department. He's a little bit dreamed out, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. he? <laughs> yeah. He certainly copped it. Um, and... Um, the, to make matters worse, um, sending a bullet into his crotch, he ran into a woman's. He ran into a state of panic into a woman's bathroom in a house nearby and yelled out he'd been shot himself in the penis. Well, I bet he didn't say penis. And um, the awful thing is, cops have now charged him because um, the gun wasn't registered. So there you go. <laughs> what about indecent exposure? Well, <laughs> anyway, that's that. So aren't they brilliant over there? Absolutely brilliant. Oh, God. oh well, it's you know. Now, Abio, which we might talk about more next week, the Four Corners program last week, which exposed um, Abio's treatment of older people in residential villages, etc. Since then, they've put out full-page ads, the story not told by Four Corners, and they tell us what a wonderful company they are and how the, the, company, the show got it all wrong. And they've had a subsequent one which quotes some of their... Um, their residents and their clients um, mm-hmm. saying how wonderful they are. Now, that's all very well, except that Four Corners said it asked them to come on, but they refused. <laughs> and had they come on Four Corners, they could have answered it in front of the camera. Um, mm. They might have been cross-examined over it a little without Ooh, put, just putting the, just having the marketing people, the PR people put out their, um, the spin doctors put out their point of view. But... Nonetheless, the opportunity was there, and one wonders why they didn't take it at the time. One does. One does. Well, the age was also involved in that that show, and uh, anyway, uh, they. um, Well, there's not a lot of investigative um, journalism left, so we've got to be grateful for small mercies when um, 
Fairfax and the age, uh, sorry, Fairfax and the ABC get together. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. Now there's a woman here who's just become a partner for KPMG, one of the big um, right. accounting companies of the world, of course, and she's quite pleased about it. But she talks about the fact that at one stage she managed a McDonald's, and she said that made her feel she learnt humility there. And I thought to myself, well, you would, you would, um, but I think. You probably, unless you had, a, you know, didn't have a conscience at all, you'd also have a sense of shame. I would have thought, uh, serving all that rubbish to people day after day. But anyway, um, she did learn humility at McDonald's, so it's good to know, isn't it? Uh, and she, she's obviously a very good person because she worked on the waterfront. So you say, oh my God, you know, it's good she mm. went down there. Mm. And <clears throat> but she worked on the waterfront for uh, one of the big companies, and um, and she. Um, and she uh, said she learned how to negotiate there because she had to negotiate with this. This was the time of the big MUA dispute, and she had to learn how to negotiate with the union about mm. getting higher productivity, etc., on the path. So that, that was good, wasn't it? She she worked for P and O at the time, so I just thought that was worth mentioning. Oh, she's inspirational. Yes, yeah, she is. She's an inspiration to all of us. Um, we're also spending three hundred million in high tech equipment. Um, to protect Australian soldiers against chemical weapons. Mm -hmm. uh, this is um, if they're used over there in the Middle East where we're bringing liberty, freedom and democracy to the people over there. And I would have thought you could save 300 mil, and this might be a silly thing to say, you might think I'm absolutely stupid saying this, but you could save 300 mil if the troops weren't there. I see what you mean, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mm -hmm. So that would be the simple way, I reckon, to protect them from chemical warfare. Don't put them anywhere near it. But then you see, you've got to, you wouldn't have the um, the payout to all these American companies who no, no doubt make all this very clever equipment that we have to keep. Uh, <coughs> you know, sorry, John. Yeah, buying, I didn't you know, notice. you know what I mean. It's yeah. a, it's um, swings and roundabouts, Kevin. Yeah, you're um, or well, you're much smarter than I am, obviously. No, 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 no. Because no, no, well, you worked that out. Uh, but it includes decontamination <coughs> systems, protection tents, and warning and reporting stuff. So it's good mm, stuff. Sounds exciting. Sounds like yeah, World War One, yeah. actually, doesn't it? I wonder what would happen if every country agreed, not unilaterally but bilaterally, whatever mm. there are, um, to um, to yeah. just get rid of weapons altogether. Just go home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get rid of. Just get rid of. Of military, yeah, no one had yeah. a military. They weren't going to invade anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's that's silly again, isn't it? Oh, very. Yeah, <laughs> we right. could start with North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> Not that it'll matter much much longer anyway, because a, a published a, a study in Nature Climate Change said that um, that global sea level rise has spiked by fifty percent in a little over two decades. Wow. Uh, this is from Australian researchers in the um, wow. um, yeah and 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 China Australia and China combination Kwangdo National Laboratory CSIRO and University of NSW Tasmania and Arizona etc. But anyway yeah so it's uh, so we may well, as well. on that on that subject the science science show on the ABC at uh, mid midday on Saturdays last week or the week before was discussing. Discussing the, the denialists, you know, about global warming, and, it was, and, I, and they were talking to some of the denialists, you know, some of the fairly the respectable denialists, mm. and there are a few that are still, you know, seen as having being respectable, and and um, you know, they were they were sort of, you know, they were poo pooing it, but they were saying, oh, things are happening, but it's not as extreme, you know, mm. and there's yeah. sure to be a swing back. 
yeah, of course, and yeah. all, all yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. And you know, we can we can cope with that. Heavens above, you know, temperature going up a little bit. No, no need to worry. But what was interesting was that, I mean, okay, you just hear what's edited onto the onto the show, but these people were, were very intent on temperature, and they seem to ignore all the other things that are going on, like. You know mm. the the temperature going up hugely, going up in the in the oceans, mm. like the acidification of the oceans. Mm. You know all these other things that are going on at the and same time. And the ocean time. life moving further south because yeah, they're yeah. going to the you know, it's getting yeah, warmer. Yeah, all yeah. those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but 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 they, they, they were they were very focused on just the temperature. You know, and oh yeah. yeah, we can cope with that. But of course, it was yeah. we mm-hmm. can cope with that from a first world point of view. You know, we can just keep turning up the air conditioners for. For another twenty years, but of course, what do you do after that? <clears throat> Anyhow, Kevin, you were saying. Yes. Well, also the the Alcoa coal mine at um, Anglesey, yeah, which closed a couple of years ago. Uh, Much they, sort of relief from yeah, the locals. And they yeah. were, you know, the usual story where they're supposed to uh, rehabilitate the place and all yes. that sort of thing. And they were saying what wonderful things they're going to do, and it's uh, 325 hectares and environmental sensitive Anglican, Anglesey Heath adjoins it, etc. The Great Offways National Park. We all know it's a beautiful area. Uh, and they were going to do all this, and isn't it wonderful? That that came out in the age, and a few days later in the Herald Sun yep. um, came out this story that. Uh, uh, an ambitious plan to return vegetation to a former coal mine site has been abandoned as the owner looks to transform the area, etc. Um, so, in fact, the, the grand plan they had originally, um, they're now saying, well, that they say it can't be done for various reasons, but I presume the main reason is that money. it's uh, money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, also, and if, in fact there's some physical reason for it, then it means they've done so much damage they can't get it back to where it was before they started digging into it. Um, and... Uh, there we are. We and of course we've talked many times about the, the the problems that these things always end up coming back onto the public purse. But also, it's been it was pointed out by someone in the environment movement um, that um, if they're going to put up they're going to put a big lake there now, a big lake is going to go there. But um, uh, Environment Victoria campaigns director Nick Aberley said having short-term goals to rehabilitate the area was worthwhile but it was important to focus on what happened to the area in coming decades and it was also pointed out that if you put a lake there in, in the <coughs> situation without doing anything else you're likely to just end up with this totally polluted bloody water uh, mm-hmm. so um, it's not going to well, be this a very very deep lake I would have thought it might be quite dangerous yeah. in some ways but of course, yeah, that's, I mean, it's the go-to solution for all these things is just fill it up with water mm. and then put a few fish in it and everybody have a great time. Yeah, mm. that's right. Fishing. Yeah. 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 Or something. That's right. Well, it's, all, yeah. it's all very wonderful, it's, really. The, the, same, the yeah. same issues are going on down in the Latrobe Valley, of course, but I think they calculated it to take hundreds of years to fill up some of the coal mines with water, you know, the mm. oven-cut coal mines. So it's going to be an awfully long time before they... Yeah, they're sorted. Yep, and uh, well, and and down there again. I mean, the, the end result's going to be that's going to end up falling back on the public purse again. Of course, as, and, I think as they always undoubtedly do. that's yeah, the case. Yeah. 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 All right, <coughs> um, let's take a quick break, and I've got to get this mess into order. <laughs> it's totally out of order, and. Um, yeah, look, play that. We're going to play something because it is NADOC week, and um, this uh, this goes along with NADOC week. And we're going to mention later also the program on here today. To, later today, the between twelve and four, isn't it? Uh, okay. I think I'm pretty sure it's between so, yeah. twelve and four. There, and I think they're going to two different prisons today to interview uh, talk to Indigenous prisoners. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, this is called We Thank You, and it's a tribute to 3CR, and it's by everyone. Let's, Let's all stand Big united. Crowd. <laughs> Come on, on be black and proud. Oh, we should record that. Too black, too strong. Right, 
Tojo Beck announced that again. We did fade it at the end there. That was Thank You 3CR by everybody. Right. Well, we all feel faint. We're all faint. Yes. Very carefully. Oh, very good. Um, just on, on some industrial matters, um, we're pleased to know again um, that the CFMEU and they say it's Victorian boss John Setka are facing a 150 million lawsuit that could bankrupt the union over allegations of unlawful coercion and threats that delayed a Melbourne construction project. And this was this is the Pentridge Village development, which this is probably appropriate, isn't it, in many ways, if you think about it? Um, uh, but uh, again, you've got bosses um, taking them to court, and, and one assumes that you know, a lot of the a lot of the disputes are around safety issues or they're around the rights of union officials to talk to their members or people being uh, – the unions trying to make sure that people are in the union. And um, and I, I think from the outset of these these laws that just are designed to smash unions, that the union should have just said, look, we're not going to pay a cent and you can do what you like and take it from there. But, um, yeah, but it's um, – it's pretty serious. The other one this week, of course, is the government saying it's going to pay um, pay forty million or more to buy this sawmill. Now we talked about this last week. The Australian Sustainable Hardwoods, with mm. our interview last week on this program, as you remember, mm. oh, Megan, okay. mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> and it was pointed out that one, the Sustainable Hardwoods in the title is totally a misnomer. They're, they're totally unsustainable. They were warned years ago that they were, they were going to. You know, have less timber available because of the situation. Um, they did no planning for that, and now they and they're threatening to close down, and all the workers will be out of work. Now it seems to me that if they're going to, it's like Phoenix companies, isn't it? Phoenix companies that that owe workers lots of money, particularly after um, after they've after they've turned out they've lo- lost, they owe workers lots of money over injuries, etc. Mm-hmm. They suddenly go broke. Uh, the worker never gets the money. Uh, the other workers there lose their entitlements, and yet they move over the road next day and start again. We all know about that. Phoenix companies, that's legal, and mm. companies can do that. If unions tried the same thing, imagine. Um, but it seems to me, if this company's going to close anyway, says okay, if you don't, if you don't give us all the timber we need, we're going to close down. If it's going to close, why pay it a cent? Hmm. Why not let it just close down, then open up another company with a government run? Oh, I see. The government do the Phoenix thing for a change. Yes, why not? Why not? I mean, why give them $40 million if they're going to close anyway? Why not just walk, let them close down and take it over? Um, It seems to me astonishing that we're paying anything for this. Then you can employ the workers. Of course, you've got to remember through the whole thing whether – the work you're doing is sustainable anyway, and that that's, has, well, to, has well, to come into it. So why does the why does the government suddenly make it s- sustainable? Where do they get the sustainable mm. timber? Well, it's again from good. themselves. Yes. From themselves, that's right? Oh, okay. So, which so is Forestry Victoria going to buy the mill? Well, or? it's the state government at this stage. It doesn't. It says, but. Um, but and the, the problem is the workers are still complaining. They say scores of jobs remain at risk. You know, so they they I don't know what what more they want. They say that lots of workers could still end up losing their jobs. Um, and the Nationals leader Peter Wells said the government had failed to give Hayfield milled workers long term certainty for their jobs. Mm. Um, and indeed, he said the only way to save these jobs is to increase timber supply. And the Andrews government confirmed again today that they aren't prepared to put jobs first. So, in other words, the forest must come second to jobs. Hmm. Yeah. Paul Ledbetter's yeah. possum. Yeah, that's mm. right. And forget about the old. Well, that's what 
uh, Greg Barber from the Greens said Labor has saved some jobs for the short term but can't bring itself to reduce logging levels to protect the endangered leadbeater's possum. Um, so there you are. I told you, you're on the ball. I bet you that 40 million is far more than the actual... Um, Machinery and stuff stuff is worth. Oh, the the, the shareholders will be rubbing their hands yeah, all the way to the bank. Yeah. It'll be a it'll be a big bribe in there for the shareholders. It giggling. won't just be paying for the um, giggling for the stupid. for the actual sawmills machinery and that sort of thing. Oh, no. Yeah, just before we go to um, to transport, John, which you'll be so thrilled about. We're, we're one minute off. You know, we're at the time where you start shaking. So we'll give it another no, minute. No, not um, <laughs> settling down, are we? I'm letting it all. I'm letting, right, letting right. it all run past. Kevin. A bloke called Len De Pietro um, runs a number of cafes, including Cafe Bacci at Crown, which I've never been to. But I've never been to Crown at all, other than walk around the outside in a protest once. Um, but. Um, He's been sprung again for underpaying workers more, more than 70 grand, but it's been going on since 2007. Um, he's been put on notice a number of times after investigations of a dozen other underpayment allegations dating back to 07. He faced the federal court in 2014 after three, three Barchi workers were underpaid 32 grand. Yeah. Um, and Natalie James, the Fair Work Ombudsman, says it is simply unacceptable for an employer to continue to underpay workers after being directly educated on their obligations to meet minimum employee pay rates and having been ordered by a court to back pay workers. And it goes on, but, you know, this bloke's just a... A, um, a serial a offender. serial offender, and um, but her comment also was interesting. It's unacceptable after you've been sprung. I mean, it should be unacceptable even before you get sprung. Isn't it? I mean, I, uh, I would have thought that it's unacceptable any time. It's fascinating because the, the the hospitality industry everywhere you go underpays mm. and pays cash and. I'm curious about how that happens. Seems much more common yeah. in Melbourne than in Hobart. Yeah, and of course it happens that yeah. you know most of these cases you read in the paper come out from the Fair Work Ombudsman. <coughs> that that's that's because unfortunately these days, in particularly in those sort of jobs and casual work, workers are not in unions anymore. I mean, if, if they're in unions, mm. that'd be that'd be picked up very quickly. Mm. Well, one hopes mm. it would. Although with that particular union, of course, in the in that <laughs> industry, the, or particularly the retail industry, the union collaborates with the boss to to lower wages, so that doesn't. Mm. Work works so well um, but um, more more or less if you know if people were in unions it would, it would help a hell of a well, lot well if you had a discussion on you know this situation we're in where wages aren't going up at all and we've you know, the economy well, is right. slightly I mean, sort of doldrums and they're yeah. actually getting to the point this is the this is the commentators for the bosses saying you know that, that wages really need to go up to, yeah. to give the economy a stimulus. They need stimulus. to go up, but they can't afford them to go up at this time. They said last week, we quoted the yeah, business council at this time. last week. <laughs> at yeah, this yeah, time, yeah, yes. Yeah. There's no, I've never known a time ever when workers have sought anything when it's been the right time. No. <laughs> it's never been the right time ever. No. no. But the other one, and we'll come more of this, I'm sure, in time, but the, this one they're bringing in with Macadia Cash, Cash um, the employment minister, of course, we keep pointing out she, before going into parliament, she was a partner with Freehills, the biggest anti-worker law firm in the country. Um, Macaulay Cash is good. There's, there's going to be 10,000 internships offered to retailers. They don't have to pay a cent for, their, for the employers. The, 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 young, the young workers get um, a little more in their dole payment, but the, the, you get free labour, and um, it's just outrageous. Mm. Yeah, OK. Look, another very quick break, and we'll come back and talk transport. All right. Bring down 
The seventh annual Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am to 6pm. The Book Fair showcases more than 40 stalls and a program of workshops. It's a great opportunity to be introduced to new ideas, to challenge your thinking and to meet with like-minded folk. It's free and we also provide free childcare. At the Brunswick Town Hall on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am till 6pm. Find out more at www.amelbournebookfair.org or find us on Facebook, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is a 3CR supporter. Okay, Transport, John McPherson. John, I know you wanted to raise something that was in the age this morning. Yeah, uh, yeah. But before we do, sure. Megan, you're a young person who gets around on public transport. Have you mm-hmm. any, any thoughts on the system? Just you know, And you've come to Melbourne from mm-hmm. Tassie recently. Uh, yeah. yeah. It seems expensive to me, just at first glance, um, coming from Hobart. We didn't have um, – we uh, in Hobart there's only buses. There's no trains or trams. Mm. Um, but – yeah, it seems like – I mean, it's obviously important to have a different sort of transport system for a place like Melbourne where there's 4 million people as opposed to a place like Hobart where there's 300,000 or so. Um, but it does seem like um, – I'm not sure. I understand that the whole Mikey system has come in with a lot of controversy when it did come in and um, there seems to be some some glitches in it that – that doesn't seem to work all that well, yeah, mm-hmm. in some ways. It took me quite – I actually rang the Mikey people and had to have someone explain it to me for about 20 minutes about the tapping on, tapping off and when you would get charged and how long you get charged for a day. And <laughs> Did that help at all? Actually, well, it took quite a while. I, was, I had to be a bit stubborn and I was like, I'm really sorry, I still don't understand. Like if so I'm on a tram and then I don't tap off and then, you know, it's a bit, very <laughs> complex. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I think I do understand it now, but I do try to ride my bike as much as possible, (laughs) mostly because it really adds up. Like the cost a Mm. day. But there is a cap on the daily, mansion. There is, yeah. Mm. Um, But it can come to, you know, eight Mm. something or nine dollars a day. And if you're traveling every day, um, yeah, yeah, it tends to add up over a week. Sure, if you're not, yeah, if you're not not earning decently. Yeah, depending on what you're. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's not much. Recognition of people who are yeah who, who aren't working uh, yeah or, the concession um, I don't even know whether there's I don't think I have a concession I'm not sure whether I do or not I'm not sure what the difference is don't yeah, mm. yeah. Don't if you got a health card you got a concession but I don't know. Yeah. yeah yeah but you have to buy a particular sort of Mikey. Yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah. I, I get, I have the seniors one, of course. Yeah, so, so I get, I, I get right. the position, yeah. But well, yeah. I'll yeah. investigate further. Yeah, see. but I'm not, yeah. yeah I, I think but you're it, totally right that yeah. there's no, there's no clear explanation of it, and of course mm. it's been modified over you know nearly ten years now, mm. bit, by, bit mm. by bit. Yeah, yeah. And so it's ended up even more, mm. more peculiar. Mm. For instance, this business with trams. Mm. Um, <laughs> why are trams different to other? Yeah, yeah. Why well, are they? There's, there's probably two reasons. Um, um, the trams, fortunately, mostly are in what they call Zone One. Although, we've, although of course, the number of zones has been reduced over time too. Mm. Which is another confusion. Mm. Um, and so, tapping off became not not really necessary because mm-hmm. you could assume that people were only going within one within zone that, within that zone. Okay, and. 
of course, they discovered that it made the congestion getting on and off the trams even worse when people were trying to tap, tap off tap off as as yeah. they were getting off while other yeah. people were trying to get on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They hadn't they hadn't really thought through yeah. the, issue, the issues of a tap on tap off, yeah. off system with trams. Yes. different with a train because you do it as you go onto the platform mm-hmm. and you stand around a bit, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but not time. With, not with trams. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wish they'd announced that day because I know coming came from the market on a Saturday. Um, and there's all of the, I get that tram back around to Royal Park Station coming at the end of the market. Mm. And the stop before the station, of course, is the zoo. Mm. And it's because it's weekend, it's always lots of tourists going to the zoo. And you're, you're thinking, we're on a 20 minute train service, you know, you want to get rid of the train stop and the next stop as fast as possible. Yeah. But they don't tell people you haven't, so all these people queue up to bloody well. Tap off. Tap off when they don't have to. So it takes five uh, minutes. Yeah, it should have taken one. Yeah. that's right. It's just so I wish they'd. And the other one on that is just as a as a by the by, the stop before that is the hockey centre, etc. But because the zoo wall is on your right, a lot of tourists bail out at the wrong stop, and no one mm. tells them this. Yeah, you know, the next stop is the mm-hmm. zoo. They should mm-hmm. make that announcement because mm-hmm. uh, it's quite. I find it. I I quite a pro- quite frustrating on their behalf. You yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I don't quite understand, although I assume it would come down to money, is why um, I remember visiting Melbourne back in the day and you could get a ticket on the tram. Mm -hmm. You could buy a ticket on the tram. Now if I get on the tram and swipe my Mikey and I've got no credit on it, then I have to get off the tram and find somewhere. Yeah, technically, yeah. Technically, I always stay on, but yeah. technically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. supposedly yeah. you're supposed to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Again, yes. Why can't there be things to top up your Mikey at a tram stop or on tram? Mm-hmm. It yeah. can't be that we're hard, gonna take, We're going to take that as rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. They actually do have them at tram stops. Do they? Some, some, some. big junction stops, okay, yeah. Right. But there's none on the tram, and that's where you really want one. Really, yeah. Yeah, it is, because yeah. yeah. you can't check. Well, can you check before you get on the tram? You probably can't. I don't, know. No, I don't no, think no. you can. No. Unless, you're yeah. at, unless you're at one of the top-up booths where yeah. you can yeah. put more money on your Mikey. Yeah. yeah. The only or way to test come, your Mikey is to touch on. Yeah. yeah. Or you've come through a railway station, station and you know, and you know. against the, yeah. the thing yeah. there. But, yeah, yeah, it's uh, – they like a lot of these modern things, they, they expect you to spend all your time curating your yeah. your marquee, you know. Yes, You've got to worry like... about your marquee. Is my marquee <laughs> happy today? Marquee all the time, yeah. <laughs> and there was a news item recently that they re-signed the contract with the Mikey people before even going through any sort of report on what it was and what was happening. And I can believe that. With lot, without <laughs> lots of information. So. Well, I, well, I believe they do it because they want to keep all the, all the embarrassments in-house, you see. Uh, and, if you, and if you keep the same... Um, People. The same people. Yeah. Everything can be kept quiet. And, and, yeah. You know, gen- generally it is a mess. Mm. And when they said we'll do we'll do Mikey our way, they they at the same time they could have taken the system from overseas, yeah. from London or possibly Hong Kong or something yeah. like that. There's so many really well operating yep. systems around yep. the world yep. for big yep. ca- big cities. Yep. Yeah. So it's never been explained why why Melbourne had to do it do it differently. Mm. I'll do it Mikey way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's still a, it's still a mess. Yeah. 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 Okay, John, you wanted to raise something in the age this morning. Yeah, yeah, the age. age um, somebody got hold of a report uh, from Metro to the government. Well, obviously Metro just slipped a copy to the age, I imagine. Mm. Metro being the operator of the, uh, the suburban train system. And um, they're pointing out that within two years, some of the uh, train lines, particularly the ones in the west, are going to be an absolute um, mm. jam, jam full point 
mm. in the peaks. And I think that means that I'll be running as many trains as I can run. And those trains in the peak hour will all, all be jam full, which means well over, well over comfortable mm. levels of stand, you know, full, full yeah. and standing. And uh, it's a long time until the Metro uh, rail tunnel um, is finished. It's supposed to be finished in the year 2026, but I think we can guarantee it'll, be, it'll take longer than that. Mm. These things usually do. So the question is what happens in the meantime? Mm. What can be done to, um, to find a bit more capacity so things don't yeah. get completely out of hand? Well, power? one of the items I've got here and under there somewhere this morning is, mm. the, is a report about the fact that the western suburbs of Melbourne are the fastest growing area and mm. Wyndham is the fastest growing yes. council in the state. Yes. Uh, and in the whole double-page spread, there's only one small mention saying this might include uh, improving transport facilities. It doesn't even mention public, just transport. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was going to raise with you the fact that you're going to have this massive increase in population, but it's the most poorly serviced area for public transport as you die there. Have another but, um, Thanks. Um, so comment on that. I mean, it seems to me that it is poorly served already. Yeah, well, that, well that's the thing. It's um, got less... I'm sorry, folks, I'm going to have to have a bit of a cough. Right. Oh, <coughs> We almost sent the tea plank. Oh dear, that is we well. didn't. We didn't. We didn't. Um, yeah, it, it, the problem is there are less lines in the west and, and the northwest than there are in the east because Melbourne always grew grew to the east and the southeast, and it's really only in the last thirty years, perhaps twenty years, that it started going west, and um, mm. nobody really, um, um, again, you know, took public transport seriously until perhaps the last decade when all mm. of a sudden all the trains were, were uh, filling right up and um, the trains from Werribee yeah. um, became very, very crowded, for instance, and uh, the same has happened on the Craigieburn line, um, which, of course, is an extension of the Broadmeadows line and the uh, Sunbury line and the Melton line, and the Melton line isn't even um, electrified at the moment. And, of course, it's single track as well, although that, that is going to, going to change in the next two mm. or three years. We hope, um, but um, when the regional rail link was built, which was the idea being to take the V-line trains off the suburban lines coming in from the uh, coming in from the west, um, there that's running out of capacity very soon as well, and uh, the capacity that that created on the suburban lines is also um, filling up. Um, you know, really fast. There was an item again recently in the Western suburbs about the Altona Loop, yeah. which is a loop that runs off Newport. Is it Newport to Laverton? Newport to Laverton. Newport yeah. to Laverton. Mm. Um, and that the, the people out there are always complaining about the lack of service. Yes. You know, it's even worse than the upfield line, which mm. is hard to believe. Um, but uh, again, um, part of that was that, again, about the capacity of the line and where we now run fairly regular trains, particularly in peak, and so it's all sort mm. of. Taking mm. up there mm. somewhere. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's <laughs> that's what's happening, folks. It's um, the loop is still single track, the um, Altona loop, and that makes it awkward because the trains are running just a little bit out of sing- sing- sequence. They um, hold each other up, and there are also flat flat junctions where the trains cut across in front of each other as well. Mm. And and you know those sort of flat junctions exist all over all over Melbourne. And they mean that, that where the where the lines combine is always a bit problematic because because again if the trains are just a minute or two late they can um, mm. they can um, tangle with another train not not physically but they can the signalling system can uh, cause trains mm. to be held 
And mm. of course, you got the upfield line, Kevin's line, which has got only got a twenty-minute service at the moment, and that's mostly because up right up the top end of the upfield line, there are single track sections. But um, mm. heaven knows why that hasn't been fixed, fixed in the mm. last fifty years. But it hasn't. But you could actually run, say, a train every ten minutes and turn every second train back at wherever the double track Gowrie. Gowrie, yeah. yeah. You could turn every second train back at Gowrie. But but that that's too hard a thing to do, apparently. Um. As I keep saying now, the, the one consolation is that when we go into holiday timetables, nothing changes. Exactly. You're, <laughs> you're all assumed to be you're all assumed to be bears of little brain up there. You don't, <laughs> nothing ever changes. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, there are there are things to be done, like running longer trains. Um, the the uh, the loop is a problem for longer trains. They can the loop start platforms can take seven car trains compared with six car trains at the moment, but uh, quite possibly the platforms st- could be extended if they really wanted to at some stage in the future. But even seven car trains would be an improvement. Um, uh, the signalling can still be improved considerably, so the trains can run closer together. That's a, that's another thing. So I guess the Metro are really saying to the government, pull your finger out. There are a whole lot of things you you can do and should do between now and the year 2026 to keep the capacity growing. And you'll need to do it or otherwise you'll have some... Some yes. serious embarrassments between that. And, and Metro, and of course, expects the public purse to pay for it. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Metro, this this point, Metro just becomes the one who mm. urges, you know, and suggests, and yeah. um, they they then claim that they do everything they do, you know, as well as can be <laughs> expected, mm. you know, within the constraints. Et That's right. We know all the words. Um, yeah, but. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'll mention now, we did plan today to have a, um, a veteran railway worker who still works on the system and oh, okay. is also president of one of the sectors of the union on to talk about that whole privatisation process because, as you know, the government is in the process of either re-signing or not re-signing the contracts. And there's a campaign to, to say, let's bring it back into public sure. hands. Yeah. Um, this bloke was going to come on and talk about and talk about what the, he was there at the time about all the problems privatisations caused for the system. Mm. Uh, but he, he had to suddenly he discovered he had to go to work this morning right. and do things. So, but we're hoping to have him on next month on okay. this first Wednesday to talk about all those issues. In fact, so, well, good. Yeah, um, yeah um, it's mm. it's it seems as if even though the government would say, "My God, we've thrown hundreds of millions of dollars at the maintenance of the system." And Metro, of course, has been the one who's been organising the maintenance, but the government's been providing the money. It still seems like huge amounts of extra money are still needed. Mm. Um, well, they say that railway lines are really, really expensive. That's always been the excuse mm. in Hobart for yeah. why we couldn't utilise all the ra- existing railway yes. lines that we had because they needed to be upgraded to be relevant for the right. kind of trains that they use these days. Um, I don't know the specifics of it, but I've always found it fascinating because we have incredible railway lines crisscrossing oh. the state from mining um, sure, use. You do. Yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> could make incredible sort of passenger trains and a light rail along well, light, Hobart. Light rail, yeah. light, light rail would be the obvious thing yeah. to do in Hobart. And yeah. as, as you say, you've got You've got quite a few corridors where, yeah. where, where the trains used to run. So yeah, and the excuse has always been we don't yeah. have the money yeah, for yeah, this yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's not going to be used enough because yeah. there aren't enough people. But my curiosity here, and this is a very basic question mm, because mm. I'm not aware of how it all works, but Metro, PT, the government, 
who where's when was it privatized and how did the relationships work well, before that well well the relate beforehand the, the the railways department was you know part of the government structure and it did everything for mm, the railways pretty much yeah. did, did everything and um, and then 20 years ago um, roughly, yeah, roughly, yeah, yeah roughly. Yeah. Um, you know, at the height of, you know, governments aren't good at doing anything. The private sector is always better at doing everything. Mm. Um, the um, the decision was made that the operation, at least, would be would be privatised. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and then you then you find you get the big big operators from overseas get get interested. The mm. first the first lot a lot of them were English, but they went home mm. very quickly. <laughs> Well, yes, in fact, fact on that, I mean, um, and Meg, the point you raise is one we've mentioned many times, that the way it's broken up now means everyone can pass the responsibility Mm. on. No one takes responsibility for anything. Mm -hmm. They all blame each other. Mm. Um, And, Mm. in fact, just recently, the uh, Productivity Commission um, and Infrastructure Australia itself have come out and said that we should privatise all public transport in Australia then you'd have all this investment to put into transport. Now, it seems to me that's interesting. You privatise it, and what you raise, you invest in public transport, but that's public transport you no longer own. So there's a contradiction mm. there from the start, as I see it. Well, there is. I don't, uh, know, I don't know how you keep any control no, over it. No, no, that's right. But also, um, also um, he, he, they, the point they make, they say the example of how privatising public transport has been enormously successful is Melbourne, John. Yes. Melbourne. Mm. Yes. Now, would you see us as the great example? Well, the um, calculations I've seen are, are that the, the cost of running public transport, um, you know, calculated on the same basis for what it cost before privatisation and after, is it now costs about double the amount to run. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Probably a lot of that would yeah. be staffing. I would imagine that there's all government departments that are full of staff trying to manage the, their Ma- side of things. The managers, yes. Yeah, and then they probably would have been the people, like as many staff that would have just managed it and now now mm-hmm. liaising right. with all the other organisations that are managing. That's right. But yeah. what my observation is that you have a fairly ineffective mm. bunch in the government managing the managers mm. and the man- and the government people have very little effect on what really happens but they still mm-hmm. get paid mm-hmm. very uh, very mm-hmm. handsome salaries yeah. and um, uh, why so why not just have one lot of managers yeah. who are doing the, doing the job who, yeah. who have the, uh, the pressure and responsibility on mm. them but this way you seem to have two and then you have at least mm. two and mm. then you can do the buck passing trick Mm. And of course, it must be very frustrating for governments mm. to to realise how little control they actually do have. Yeah, mm. um, you know, they 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 in the end are still expected by the by the people who vote for them to mm. make it work. Yeah, uh, and yet they've done their best to shift the responsibility to the private sector. Yeah, and, and it also... doesn't really work like that. When things go really wrong, yeah, everybody, including the media, of course, turns around and glares at the government. <coughs> mm. But the part of the extra cost also, of course, is the massive profits the private company then walks away with. Sure. We mm. have them. Well, at every level, you've got to have a profit built into the transaction between yeah. all, the, mm. all, the, all the entities, you know. Just, yeah. just recently, a bloke called Dominic Helmsley, who is Standard Life Capital's London-based head of 
of Infrastructure Equity. Nice title. He spoke at some conference here and he said government should proceed with caution when privatising railway networks due to complexity. And he says the London Underground was split into two franchises that were incredibly complicated to document as to who was responsible for what in terms of operations and maintenance. There are some lessons to be learned there in terms of what it really worth it. And he goes on to say in other inter alia, the British government was forced to reassume control of overland rail networks following fatal accidents due to poor maintenance after the networks were privatised in the mid-90s, while government agency Transport for London took over the running of the underground after the public-private partnership running had collapsed in 2010, and he goes on. But, yeah, no, it's, you know, well, he's yeah. correct. That's, that's, yeah. that's what happened in the UK. So they had to re re-nationalise, um, I suppose you could say, a, a, a portion of the um, privatised network, um, mm. particularly the um, the actual track and the signalling system, the actual physical mm. physical um, um, infrastructure, I guess, <laughs> but mm. for want of a better word. And um, mm. the... In Britain now, the, there are a, couple, a whole range of companies run bits of the British rail system, but they actually hire the rolling stock from another lot of companies. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a mess. It, and it is a mess, yeah. I mean, because all, all the operating companies bleat all the time, if only we could control our infrastructure yeah. and, and, and work on the bit of track we need, we know what we need in the way of track, you know. Yeah. But, that, but that's a different company, so, it's a, so mm. it's a mess. We haven't got quite that mess yeah. No, but it's interesting that part of the mm. network went back to being yep. national, like run by the yep. government. Is it possible that could happen here for the trains? Well, and- it yeah. happened with V-Line, you know, that, which is the country rail passenger network. Mm-hmm. That was that was also privatised by Kennett, the Kennett government. But again, the um, the operators of that walked away, and the government had got very dissatisfied with their performance. Mm. And the, and then and when the, they uh, left, the government took over, and still does run it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, but there's been a couple of lo- a couple of new lots of management gone in. There. They mm. brought in some gu- some guys from Queensland Rail who thought they thought it would be fantastic. Mm. Did they last a year? I don't think they lasted. No, <laughs> 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 they were so, la- last seen on the last train out of town. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, the last plane out of town. Okay, Kevin. heading. I don't go by train. <laughs> on which, speaking of those regional lines, John, we've had the government, the federal government, finally come clean with some money. Yes. And a lot of um, regional lines. You comment on all that um, development. Well, um, yeah, G- Gippsland and Ballarat seem to be the main yeah, beneficiaries. It, but it's it's uh, it's it's great yeah. to see it. And suddenly, out of nowhere, pop these plans, and and, and you know, and there's huge hundreds of millions of dollars being spent, and that's great. Mm. But you sort of wonder, is it part of, part of a longer term plan? And you somehow, <laughs> I I always get the feeling that um, that that they don't they don't think in the long long term and we don't ever get um, told about the long term if there is such a thing as a long term plan mm. uh, they see for instance there are p- real problems with the lines from the from Gippsland that the the suburban lines from Pakenham towards the city through Dandenong they're very crowded already mm. and um, if you want to start running a lot more country trains they have to share the tracks Mm. Uh, and uh, what's going to be done about um, building about more, separating them? Separating them or building more track out there? You know, another another couple of tracks mm. that doesn't ever seem to be addressed. And there's all this business going on with Skyrail being built on the Dandenong Corridor, where these bits of 
railway line are being elevated to make it easy to, to get rid of level crossings, um, that again, you would assume that, that that is being built with an eye on what you might want to do in the future mm. to, to put other tracks in place there because the corridors, of course, aren't very wide. There might be room for two more tracks or there might not. Mm. Um, all those things. But no, nothing much ever gets... Not, not a lot of this ever gets, you know, brought out in the open. Mm. The first train proposal yeah. years ago went to Ballarat and Bendigo, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Bendigo real estate, a Ballarat real estate agent came out saying this is mm. wonderful because it's going to increase real estate values, having a better train line, people yes. can commute much more easily. Yes. But he, he argued that, in fact, um, it's a very poor service now, and yet we spent all that money on the fast service. What's – is it – Well, I think – uh, well, <laughs> he, probably, he probably just moved the goalposts and decided he now wanted to compare the service with something they have in Europe, mm. say – it, it, the service that Ballarat gets now is a lot better than the service it got 20 years ago. A is lot. it a fast mm. rail? Is it fast? It's a little bit fast. Right. <laughs> the, the big thing that's improved is frequency. Okay. Um, uh, and and certainly, certainly frequency could improve again. Mm. Uh, and they are putting in the extra passing loops and things like that on the Ballarat line. Uh, as mm. for speed, when the regional fast rail thing first um went into operation, they had a train from um, Ballarat to Melbourne, one pick-out train that did the trip in about one hour, mm. which was pretty, pretty, pretty good. I think it beat, it certainly beat any traffic on the, mm-hmm. on the motorway. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, the trouble with running one fine train fast is that it upsets all the other trains more than if you've got all the trains running at similar mm-hmm. speeds. Mm-hmm. So over time, that, that train got slower. It got about 10 minutes slower mm. to fit in better with the other trains. Mm. Uh, and I can see why that happened. Um, but uh, once again, the uh, the single track line to Ballarat is a bit incoherent in that the, the passing loops aren't necessarily in the right places or, the, mm. or there are enough passing loops and, of course, more more double track would always be better. Uh, so um, mm. the real estate man might like to see a you know train take 45 minutes from Ballarat to Melbourne, but it'll think it'll be a while mm. before that happens. It could and mm. probably should in time. Uh, but that would mean, of course, that you'd be getting a much faster train from Ballarat than you get from from Frankston on the mm-hmm. suburban system. Mm-hmm. That's one of the <laughs> that's one of the ironies. Mm. <laughs> That the trains from the country cities can be sh- be quicker mm. than the trains from the outer suburbs. Yeah, mm. mm. and there is, all, I mean, among, among all the proposals, there's also a proposal to extend the line down the um, the surf coast. Yeah, that's right. Now, um, it looks like on the map it's going to Torquay. You didn't mention Torquay, but that's that, that's would, that would be good, and people down there. I think, it, I think, and I th- Warren Ponds get served better as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I um, don't quite understand why Torquay gets to train another. Other, mm. other other outlying um, growth centres don't mm. get a train. Uh, but Beach. Mm. Beach. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. That's right. You need a train to you put the surfboard the, the surfboard in the rack and away you oh, go. Okay. <laughs> You're right, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're right, Joe. <laughs> Thank God about something. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So I don't know about that branch line to, to talk here. 
I sometimes think a, 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 a much improved bus service yeah. feeding to the existing. Well, you've line now got the uh, Marshall and Warren Ponds. I mean, yeah. the Marshall. Um, the car park at Marshall is full very early every morning from people coming up from further down the coast like Torquay. That's, that's true. So there is a need, I think, for well, There is a need. For commuter. There's, there's a need in so many yeah, places yeah, yeah, the, where it's very yeah. similar. You know, the, um, the, um, the extension of the um, um, you know, South Morang line out to Mernda that's going to happen, it's starting to happen, it'll be built in a couple of years. You know, that, that, the car parks on that new bit of line will be overwhelmed by 7am mm. on the first day of mm. operation. In Perth, yes. when they build a new railway station, there's a new line, a new one going in on the uh, Gingerlup line to the south. Um, their new station has 2,000 car parks, oh, not 200. Yeah. The way, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, it's right. They're realistic about the, uh, the attracting, mm. attracting power of a, of a railway line. So, mm. you know. Mm. We're out of time. We are, yeah. yeah. Well done again. Well We'll talk more next month. Hopefully, we'll have um, our worker. I, mean, I don't know. If, I don't know if he wants to use his name or not. I don't think. I think. I think he will use his name, but I won't say his name just in case he doesn't want his bosses to know who he is. Um, but um, okay, we'll do that next month. But uh, next week is housing, isn't it? Is housing? No, no. It's energy. It's energy. We're going to have Patrick Moriarty. In fact, next week, no, Professor pro, the Professor Moriarty is uh, he loves, it. and. Um, Talking about energy issues, etc. So that's next week. Uh, uh, excellent. Yeah. And John, you're the guest. Thank Megan. Thank um, thank me. Thanks, thank Megan. you. Thank you. And particularly, Thanks, Tojo. particularly yeah. thank Tojo. Yeah. My <laughs> pleasure, gentlemen. My pleasure. And, and gentlemen, ladies. Lady. Yes. And ladies. <laughs> that's right. In fact, Meg, Megan just re- worked out she's worth two people. At once. <laughs> just two. Thanks to you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> okay. Next week. Thanks a lot. Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter.